podcast with their hosts, Kristen Evanson, a consultant and coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark L. Vincent, founder of Design Group International and Society for Process Consulting. This is the board and the third turn leader. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 25 of the Third Turn podcast, where today we'll talk about the board and the third turn leader. And that will be Mark and me um, sharing some perspective from our own journeys and experiences with different boards. But before we kick that off, we have a few new things to talk about. The first is that we have an updated website at maestroleveleaders.com. And if you journey there, you will find thought leader resources, subscription options for this podcast, the blog, and a monthly newsletter that we publish with themes from the month as well as information on our Maestro Level Leader cohort experience, which is the second topic. We are forming the next cohort for kickoff in October. And if you'd like to learn and explore more about that, how to um, invest intentional time to develop future value, succession strategy, and legacy, we would love to have you go to the website, again, maestroleveleaders.com, and there's a form there to fill out. And once you fill that out, I will follow up with you. I'm already having really lovely conversations with people who are wondering about that, considering that, um, wanting to learn more about that. So if you're even the least bit interested, let's have a conversation by your visiting there as a starting point. And our third bit of news and update is something, Mark, I would love to have you tell us about. I understand there's a just announced arrangement with Christian Leadership Alliance. Would you tell us about that? Yes. Thank you, Kristen. We teamed up with the Christian Leadership Alliance to offer a maestro level leader cohort to its members. And as as you said, it's just been announced and it was just going out. And by doing this with them, we're able to offer an exclusive price for its nonprofit members that actually includes membership in the Christian Leadership Alliance and access to all of its member benefits. So that's kind of fun and we look forward to it. And uh, we'll also soon be doing a monthly post on their higher thinking blog in relationship to Maestro Level Leaders. So if we just think about this for a moment, we really launched the cohort experience at the start of 2021. That's going very well. And now you're recruiting the second one that's actually going to get off the ground before the end of 2021. And Christian Leadership Alliance approached us and said, hey, can we talk about this? Can we team up for this? And so a third cohort is now starting to be recruited. And that's just a great tribute, not to the fact that we're particularly wise here, but to the fact that we've landed on something that is a felt need and agreed upon need. So we're going to get started with that cohort within the Christian Leadership Alliance as soon as we have a half dozen or so persons ready to be intentional about their third turn in executive leadership. So we're going to put a link in the episode notes for episode 25. Someone can actually look at what the Christian Leadership Alliance is offering for maestro level leaders. Awesome. Yeah. And it's so meaningful and gratifying to find a helpful resource for people across leadership organizations. 
So today, with all of that, we're going to touch on the board relationship with the third-turn leader. And you and I both know that this has come up pretty squarely and solidly as a topic within our current cohort. Transition and succession naturally raises some issues with board performance and board governance. And I bring some experience to this as well. I worked with a governance organization that worked with corporate and nonprofit boards to up their game, both in terms of governance and risk management. So I have some experience across a variety of boards and from a conceptual and practical standpoint. And I did serve as a board chair with an organization that was contemplating leadership succession and transition. And I well know that the role of the board chair specifically, as well as the board, requires a unique kind of discipline and delicacy um, around these kinds of issues. Mark, you've had your own experience across a variety of situations and organizations. Tell us a little bit about that. What's your background that you bring to this conversation? Uh, well, I serve currently on a couple of corporate boards and one nonprofit board where I am a chair. I've helped a number of family businesses start their advisory board and transition them to more of a governing board. Um, some of those stories of that board experience is um, really wonderful. And some of it is actually kind of awful because there is a lot of crazy making and a lot of dysfunction that can come out, particularly where money is involved and ownership is involved and family relationships are involved. So I've kind of seen it soup to nuts across my years and across the organizations that I serve. And then on top of that, almost every client that I have had across what is, I can't believe I'm saying across 30 years of consulting has been at the board or C-suite level. So it often is the interface between that chief executive and the board and how they're carrying out their mission and vision. And you and I both know the roles of the board versus the leadership team and the responsibilities and being clear about those can be sometimes challenging, but really important. So as we kick this off, from your experience, I mean, let's just be honest, you and I both know no two boards are the same, right? So what would you say about that? Well, I'd say that's a safe conclusion. You can have no experience with boards at all and just go to two board meetings, just one meeting of two different boards, back to back, and you'll see that they're not the same. They're going to be doing some of the same things, but you right away recognize that there's so much variability in the organization and the people makeup and so forth. What is the same for all boards is that they all fall under the law and they need to not break the law. And there is a general ethical code that we all would want to aspire to. And so we should try to rise above that and be a best practice kind of organization. That's the same for boards, the aspiration, but also the compliance that we fall under the law. Now, different organizations have different organizational types, different charters. So the law may be a little bit different if you're a nonprofit versus a privately held company versus a public shareholder company. But the law for your corporation applies to you. And right then, after that, it's all different. It's when were you organized? How were you organized? How many people are serving on this board? Where's the organization in its cycle of maturity that you are governing? And then the differences get greater 
from there because now you're factoring in the organizational type and the marketplace it serves, the frequency of board meetings, how hands-on or hands-off they have been and intend to be, whether the executive is a board member or perhaps even the chair of the board, which you see quite often uh, in nonprofits as well as for-profits. And it just goes on from there when you start to talk about the personality types that are around the table and what they think a board member's service is and what they think the executive role should be. And then if you put on top of that, how do they think about moving toward future value, succession, and legacy when there's any kind of executive development and or executive transition? So no, they're not the same. They have the same duties, but they're not the same. So let's compare and contrast then. Um, What would you say to a board that has no real sophistication in these matters? Certainly governance in general, that's very common, let alone this idea of helping the organization move towards, and the executive move towards kind of future value and mission thriving for the organization. I'm finding across these years of working with organizations that to have simple rubrics as a starting point helps people go from a lack of sophistication toward greater sophistication and greater accomplishment. And for accomplished organizations to be able to return to what is the essence here, what really matters, helps them to stay on course. So I'd like to just offer rubrics, just a simple list of duties and a simple list of functions. So let's just talk about the duties for a moment before we go to the functions. If you Google three duties of a board, you'll find it often related to nonprofits. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that these are the same duties for for for-profit boards as well. There are three. There's the duty of loyalty. There's the duty of obedience. And there's the duty of care. I find this intriguing. When I'm sitting down with a board I've not met before and to ask, do you know what your duties are? and to find out how many cannot articulate what these three duties are. So that says something. If No matter how sophisticated they may say they are or how well accomplished they say they are, if they can't identify these duties, it's a problem. So the duty of loyalty basically means you're functioning with the interest of the organization in mind, its mission, its vision, its values, its strategies, its objectives, and you're checking your personal interests at the door. Even if you own this thing, if you own part of it, to serve on the board and to have a duty of loyalty, it means you're noting any conflict of interest and you're setting it aside and you're honoring it. You are coming in with a steward responsibility. So that's in essence what that duty of loyalty is. The duty of obedience essentially means you're not going to break the law. Uh, that you're going to follow what you say you will do. Um, it's it's even better if there are some explicit ethical commitments that you make together that you then say we're going to be accountable to this. We're gonna we're gonna do this. It's not just hey we're going to avoid breaking the law or avoid getting caught. It is much more about we're going to go beyond even the best sense of the law and be best practices when it comes to this. And then the duty of care is really a diligence of carrying out board functions. Uh, 
And we're going to talk about those functions in a moment, but it's, we're going to give this care. It's our responsibility. So it means we will prepare for our meetings. We will have an ongoing discipline and cadence for our meetings. We're going to educate ourselves on what it means to be board members and to be an effective board. And we're going to be thorough. We're going to capture our decisions. We're going to follow our agenda. We're going to have an agenda that moves out into the future. And we're going to care for our uh, responsibility. And that means expecting that executive leadership development and succession planning are rigorously done because you're caring for the organization, not just now, but for those who will have it after you. So those are the three duties of boards. And someone says, I'm new to a board member, what's my job? Or we've never really begun to educate ourselves about a board or we're a newly forming board. This is the place to start. Getting very articulate about that duty of loyalty, that duty of obedience, and that duty of care. Talk about the functions in just a moment, but what would you add there, Kristen? Well, what strikes me, I mean, yeah, I love returning to those three core responsibilities. And those can sound very like head nodding, of course, loyalty, of course, duty, of course, care. Very conceptual. But I'm just reminded that oftentimes a board role can be kind of like, I don't know, go with me here, see if you agree with this, Mark. But it helps me to bring kind of a parenting perspective to these topics. So as a board, it it is kind of like, in some ways, being a parent, given birth to this, and this child, this entity has a life of its own. It is not mine. It has a life of its own, and it's my job as a parent to have loyalty to the life that this entity, to duty, to care for, and all those things are very head-nodding things, but in the day-to-day, the practical is where the nitty gritty happens around all of those mm-hmm. things. Does that resonate with mm-hmm. you? As Yes, very much, Kristen. I, I agree with you. And if we just take those three duties one more time and state them, a duty of loyalty, obedience, and care, if we recognize them when we see them, that is not the same as asking ourselves those questions when we have a decision to make and making it operational. Are we, are we obeying the law here? Are we keeping long-term care in mind? And they need to show up consistently as something that we are throwing our work against. Otherwise, they're just chiseled on the wall and we have ignored them from the moment we sat down around the table because they're not operational for us. So to have an analogy like parenting or like being a governor of something uh, or being the governor of an engine if you're mechanically minded, thinking in some kind of terms that this thing is not you and it's not completely under your control, but you're setting its boundaries so that it can stay in a lane and do what it's there to do and have its own life and grow beyond even the care that I can give it now. To have that analogy is very helpful because it starts to operationalize these duties and takes us out of just a head assent that, yeah, they exist, but I'm never asking, how does this decision uh, match up? Right. And help us clarify our role. My role here is to blank versus being more um, kind of getting too much in the mix of things, which can oftentimes happen with boards. So those responsibilities are core. And then you talked about some functions that you saw as core. So tell us about those, Mark. I'm glad to, because it's just another list of three items. You can have a much longer list. So we might think of these as categories for our functions, but one actually is governance. A second one is strategic direction. And a third one is accountability. 
And I found uh, one really good resource that um, comes from Executive Matters that gets into this a little bit. So we'll put a link for that in our blog summary. But let me just touch on each of these quickly. Governance is the robust administration of the board's work, which is not the work of the organization. It's not the executive's work. It's not the senior VP of HR. Their work, it is the board's work. It's a robust administration of its work, organizing it, creating the framework, creating the schedule, maybe forming an annual agenda, figuring out what its processes are so that it can make decisions that guide the organization. It can track the work that they're doing and it can keep accurate records that can be drawn out for precedent by future board members that aren't around yet. So that's the governance part. Strategic direction begins to get a little bit more specific. The board serves as stewards of the organizational mission, vision, and values. It sets them. It makes sure they're being honored. It holds the executive accountable for their strategic direction, their strategy, their objectives, they, they want to make sure that it's matching against those mission, vision, and values. So they hold the executive accountable in that way. And they, they would say to the executive, we want to see a related strategy that ties to mission and more of that mission and doesn't honor our values. So that's just the strategic direction part. And the third is the accountability. It means it honors its duties. It means it carries out its functions. It can evaluate itself even as it evaluates the executive's accountability. Uh, it means being accountable themselves to whatever then is defined as ownership, being transparent to the ownership, shareholders, donors, uh, the, the uh, chapters that have come together in an association to put this board in place. And they're showing we're accountable to you. And we're also accountable to that larger common good, because there are people who are not yet connected to us that we would like to connect to us because of the kind of an organization that we are. So those are the three functions. It's not answer the phones. It's not raise all the money. It's not, you know, expand our network. Those are nice ancillary things that happen. But the three main functions are governance, strategic direction, and accountability. So those sets of responsibilities, three responsibilities of loyalty, obedience, and care, and the functions of governance, strategic direction, accountability are common across boards. It's a helpful way to think about that. Um, what would you say to a board that believes itself to be pretty well developed and organized around these things? Like we're doing those things. Yeah. What advice would you have, especially related mm -hmm. to transition and maestro level leadership and future value? Well, I'm going to confess right now that I have some cynicism when a board says we're really well developed and we're really well practiced, I try to dig in a little bit. And if I get answers like, uh, well, we have a lot of experienced board members, I don't equate experience serving on a board with an experience of good board service. I, I don't think those are identical things and I want to know more. So I found that there's some questions I like to ask that pull that out. So I'm gonna give you, again, I guess I'm working with threes today. I've got three here that I really like to ask. One is, what are you intentionally doing for ongoing board education? So I, I don't try to bring cynicism to that question. I try to bring innocence and deep curiosity to that question. You're well-developed. Oh, that must mean that you're doing ongoing board education. What are you doing? Uh, a second one is, what's your recruitment and onboarding process? And does it include mentoring board members who are coming on? 
And a third one, how well formed is your corporate voice? This idea of the board speaking as the board rather than individuals. I ask about that because that helps me know if they are as well developed as they say they are. And when they are this well developed, that these are in place, then it's a wonderful and joyful thing to say, then what's next for you? What are you working on next uh, that, that you feel called to? Because they're already exceeding best practices then at that point. And if there are robust answers, it's wonderful. If they are not robust, then we can begin to say, well, what about addressing this then? Because wouldn't that make you even more well-formed than you are? Because they haven't done that work. And whatever great stuff they have going now is going to dissipate as they're bringing on other board members because they haven't memorialized some of the ways of getting started and helping others get some institutional knowledge as they go. I, again, going back to my cynicism, I find that a number of boards that fancy themselves as well-developed actually aren't. You tend to have people saying, I have a lot of experience. So they're pooling their experience as organizational leaders. And almost everything they want to talk about then is operational, getting down into the organization instead of up to the governance, up to the mission, vision, and values. So we have to sometimes help executives who have a lot of experience that are now in board seats unmake their thinking about what good board service is so they can actually be board members and not competing executives with the executive that they've hired. Yes, it's a very dynamic role being a board member and it's very distinct from being, again, an executive leader of an organization and to continue to develop ourselves and remind ourselves. And it's like a muscle that needs to be developed and strengthened ongoing. I I absolutely concur with that. Yeah, and maybe we could put this in the language of three turns here just quickly. One is if I'm in my first turn, I'm learning about myself and my capacities. I am, you know, learning to grow up inside an organization wherever I land. If I am turn two, I am learning how to lead the organization and lead people. So I am broadening out. When I am moving into a board seat, that is a third turn type of functionality, whether I'm a third turn leader fully or not, that also has to be built out and learned. I can't assume that I bring second turn sensibilities and become an effective board member. There is something altogether new about that role, and I need to learn about it and to grow in my capacities to be an effective board member. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that is really insightful to think that. I mean, it makes me think that as an organizational leader, board roles that we might hold outside of that organization are really good kind of training ground for developing this kind of broader stepping back perspective that we will at some point need for our own leadership as an executive leader, But we can start observing that, learning about that, practicing that through our board service on other boards. We're going to come back after this short break to have more conversation about the board and the third turn leader. Are you a leader or owner who's beginning to think about how and when and what succession might look like for you in your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This peer-based leadership journey helps leaders set aside intentional, proactive time to explore and map what succession, sustained organizational success, and legacy looks like in each leader's unique life and organizational context. 
Our next cohort kicks off this October and is forming now. So if this sounds helpful for you or someone you know, and you'd like to learn more, please go to maestroleveleaders.com and complete the form there to initiate a conversation. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm drawing out Mark's thinking on the work of boards as it relates to the maestro level leader journey. And that's where we're going to jump in now. Because of my own board service, I'm wanting to get a little more concrete insight, Mark, on how boards can be part of the navigating the journey towards future value, succession, legacy, and navigating it well. What would be your perspective on these things? Well, when we're talking about a third turn in general, we're talking about a moment when an experienced executive is shifting toward future value of the organization, toward leadership, succession, whatever that might look like and however long it might take, and the legacy of the organization's mission effectiveness. That means in order to do this, there has to be a strong operational excellence behind them, underneath them, being led by a strong team, with a strong culture of well-developed and experienced leaders in their own right. If that's not there, they can't really face into the future like this and engage the board in a robust conversation. And what we're finding is that as these leaders begin to move into their third turn, begin to really craft that, they find their board is not yet ready. There are occasional boards that that are very strong and are expecting this. They are very well-developed boards, but most boards are not yet sophisticated enough to manage a transition without thinking of it just as short-term, fill the role, or even just being crazy and some of the political machinations starting to show up inside the board with all the ego battles and, and all, all of the other uh, hullabaloo that can come. So what we want to see is we get this deep operational excellence in place so that we can face in the future and really begin to develop toward the future value of the organization. And it's somewhere in there, the board kicks in and begins to see it as a part of its work as well. And my perspective, Mark, is that oftentimes boards can have fallen into kind of a sleepy mode. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're well-run organizations. Right, exactly. Um, strong leader at the top. So the board can get kind of sleepy. And then these issues of future value and especially succession can be kind of a wake-up call for the board. Yes. And then they can get a little crazy about it. Be like, oh no, now that we're waking up, now we're scared, now we're a little bit anxious. As opposed to, isn't it wonderful? We can actually examine this in its own rights in a moment where nothing has to be decided today. So we can talk about our values. We can talk about the structure by which we'll do this. Uh, and we can actually expect that our senior executive will be guiding our organization as it faces into the future. And we're going to hold that expectation accountable. Uh, it becomes an opportunity for everybody to grow. Yeah. On that note, it was so interesting. I was reading that Hubert Jolly, who's been a CEO here in the Twin Cities, he led Radisson Hospitality Group, and then Best Buy. And he spoke to the fact that, which speaks to what you're, you're talking about, that if we take a step back and in the concept of governance, think in terms of development as a more global way to think of things like succession. And we're, we're working to develop ourselves as a board. 
for different seasons. We're working to develop the talent, the leadership talent within the organization and develop future value for the organization. So overall, it's about development of the whole versus succession, which I think can get people sometimes a little overactivated. What's your perspective on that concept of development as a helpful framework? Well, if we are developing ourselves as its own end, then we're assuming that it's going to be there as opposed to, oh, we better develop ourselves now because we've reached a new stage. You know, and, and now the lights turn on. And so now we're reacting rather than seeing this as the work. This is, again, a part of the duty of care. We are responsible for handing this organization off to those who will follow us. That's the end. And it needs to be in better shape. The house needs to be cleaner than when it was handed to us. If we were handed a clean house and a well-organized house, how do we maintain that? as well as face into the future and keep it clean while we remodel, while we restructure and build out. So that work is never done. And so if we see development as the work, rather than this thing that interrupts us and resets us, then it is not uh, a rough experience. It's much more smooth. And I think that's what Mr. Jolly was getting at. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So Mark, there are two more board scenarios I want to ask you about. Let's start with a nonprofit board. What might be a unique for a nonprofit board when it comes to navigating the third turn? Well, we spent some time in this conversation talking about how some elements of board work are the same wherever you are, whatever the organization is. And yet there are differences that start showing up right away. And this is one. Nonprofits tend to be focused on expenses being in line with income. They tend to ask, did we get back to zero or have we paid all our bills, in other words? Whereas for-profits tend to be focused on increasing income and improving the bottom line. So they ask quite often, are our profits increasing? How much money is in the bank? So with nonprofits, this emphasis on keeping expenses down as a means to stay in business can limit their insight into what is needed to invest in leadership in order to ensure continuity and expansion of mission. A nonprofit teeters on this danger of seeing this kind of leadership succession planning as being a luxury rather than an absolute necessity. So that's the one big difference I would say is that nonprofits sometimes are unwilling to make the investment. So they get an upgrade in leadership by losing the leader they have and having to go out and get another one, which they also don't invest in enough quite often. Uh, they don't do the national search. They don't do it in a robust way. And if they get an upgrade, it's almost accidental. Interesting. So the other kind of board is maybe a maestro level leader journey where the the founder is involved, where there it is an mm. entrepreneur. Um, they mm -hmm. established the business. They grew the business. They maybe even own it outright. Some of those organizations don't even have boards, or if they do, the boards are made up of family members who will be potentially successors. So there can be a variety of scenarios with entrepreneurs and founder-led organizations. What should be paid attention to here, do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. The 
corporate board that we're often carrying around in our mind is a big boardroom, top of a skyscraper, Fortune 500. But there are only 500 Fortune 500 companies. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of family-held, privately-held businesses, partnerships, LLCs, S-Corps, you name it. And they are uh, employers of a vast majority of the workplace and certainly the new jobs and the, the new kind of businesses that are coming into play. So privately held businesses and solely held businesses owned by the entrepreneur outright, they often put off forming any board of advisors, let alone a governing board. And if they have an outside investor, sometimes those investors are saying, well, we're going to place somebody on the board. Oh, you don't have one. Now you have to form one. So now that board's being imposed on them rather than one that they blessed and chose and that kind of thing. So the choice at its best, to put a board in place assumes that there's some kind of continuity that's desired. Some ongoing basis for this organization after that founder or after that entrepreneur is done. If it's not desired, then I don't always know that a board is required. It's much more about how do we get the company's value in place so it can be sold or merged or closed or whatever else it is. But if there's continuity, the movement toward a board begins to matter. And the sooner you get started, the better it is and the more that continuity can be ensured. And that really starts with a picture of what does the future look like? What do we want the future? Look like? What's our preferred future? You could ca- almost call it like a master plan. Now, master plans rarely get put into place exactly as they were initially conceived, but it gives you something to throw the new stuff against and to give it shape and to navigate. So by having a desired future state in place, you start then to work backwards to where do we want to put the board in place? How are we going to form it? And it begins to have its life and you can then have an appropriate board structure. Now, let's just take a minute to say if you have family involved, because you asked about that, if they're going to be involved at the ownership level or the board level in some way, that's a whole other layer of complication and it needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be understood. So best practices here usually include the intentionality of having outside board members and usually a majority of outside board members. Uh, And then behind the scenes, forming a family council that meets before the board meets so that the family is speaking as a family to the board and they're not bringing family drama and trauma into the board so that the board can speak with a corporate voice informed by the family's wishes. Then you can have a better means by which you guide the executive with one voice and speak to the public with one voice. So those are difficult aspects. If those aren't in place, you can imagine how crazy making it gets if there's an executive leadership transition or succession involved. Yes. And I I mean, my experience, Mark, especially with founder leaders, there can be a real challenge to kind of separate the leader's identity from the organizational identity. There's just honestly some work to say, what part of this is me and what part of this is this entity that will continue on for me? So resources and perspectives that can help the leader do that kind of very intentional work. Well, let me just pop in there then, Kristen. So let's say you've got a founder who is the chair of their own board and they are the CEO. So 
this work that we really strongly recommend of figuring out your future job description, figuring out the map to be able to extricate yourself from those roles, to take chokeholds off of some things so that other leaders can step in, to change your habits as a leader so that people can actually succeed and actually arrive at a point where they don't need you. That is a whole different leadership journey than the, I've got to get this business started. We've got to grow this business. I'm going to do whatever it takes. We now have to have other people doing whatever it takes and learning maybe whatever it takes in the first place and are showing them grace and cultivating them along. That That is a hard knot to untie and it comes out of successfully tying it in the first place. So that's very jarring to remake yourself for your own health and the ongoing continuity of the organization. And it requires some counterintuitive kind of ways of leading that were, you know, helpful in the second turn and now are we're being required to kind of step back and be more objective about some things and let others step up. So to do that kind of work in company with others that are doing that work, obviously you and I believe deeply in that as part of the Meister Level Mm -hmm. Leaders cohort experience, but also having board advisory role that can help us hold us accountable as leaders and bring perspective as we try to navigate that new kind of leadership turn. So anything else before we wrap this up, Mark? I think we've done enough damage for today. (laughs) And I hope that some folks have taken good notes, might actually take some of these basics, especially if they have a forming board or if they're really taking a look at their uh, ongoing development and bring that in for some conversation. What's next for us? I think we'll have done a good work here if even one organization would take some of this to heart, identify a next step and and go on. So I, I, I hope this is a subject we can pick up in future episodes, but for today, I think we've done what we can do. Yes, and again, you and I, we started off by saying on the Maestro Level Leader journey towards future value and succession strategy and legacy. This topic of the board's role comes up squarely and consistently. So we hope this will serve our listeners and we will absolutely have resources in the episode summary as well. So as we mark, we typically have three turning point questions, but today instead, let's do something a little different. Um, Let's talk about some of those resources and take a moment to share things that you think would be helpful and useful to our listeners. Well, I'm going to just give one and then let's see what you might suggest. Jim Galvin's book, Maximizing Board Effectiveness, is getting a lot of good buzz and folks are finding it very helpful. It's an eminently practical book. It is brief. It is focused. It really lays it out. So what he's getting at is if you're on a board, let's identify what type of a board you are and then what sort of board you intend to be, and what will you do next in your own development to get there. So it's just very nicely, neatly laid out. Jim is one of the most storied board consultants there is, and he has been brought in, specifically sought when organizations have imploded because they thought we know best, we are the exception, We don't have to do it the way others did it or do it. And they end up uh, taking a very sharp left or right turn. And as I said, imploding. So he's often brought in to help unmake the ruin 
and I see what now can happen with that organization. And he's in this book saying one of the simplest ways to avoid that, look at what kind of a board you are, what kind of a board you intend to be, and get a solid next step in place. So we'll put a link to maximizing board effectiveness in this uh, blog summary. What's a resource you would point us to, Kristen? Well, first, I love that one because I do think there, again, there are so many types and flavors of boards depending on the unique needs of the organization. So I, I want to check out the book you just mentioned myself. It sounds like a really rich resource. I had a hard time picking. I've got a, a bookshelf with some things, so um, I'll throw out a couple examples. The Imperfect Board Member is a great book mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is speaks to this very this need for development, very dynamic role. So I really recommend that. A book by Beverly Behan, who served on Too Many Boards to Count, and the title of the book is Great Companies Deserve Great Boards, A CEO's Guide to the Boardroom. And I think that kind of helping a CEO think about the role of the board and how to facilitate that, help the board better develop, is a unique kind of vantage point. And then the third one I would mention is David McKenna's Stewards of a Sacred Trust, Yes, that's Um, a great one. That's an ECFA endorsed kind of book. And so just, again, different vantage points. So from the CEO's perspective, from the board's perspective, from an outside perspective, how to think about the role of a board, um, those are the kind of resources we'll put in the notes. So thank you, Mark. Hopefully this will be helpful to our readers um, and listeners. We know that this comes again up squarely in the conversations we have with Maestro Level Leaders. So You've been listening to the Third Turn Podcast. I'm Kristen Evenson, and I'm joined in these episodes by my co-host, Mark L. Vincent, who has walked us through some of the responsibilities boards face when accompanying a maestro-level leader's journey. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound, and our producer is Jennifer Miller. If you would like to be considered for the next Maestro-Level Leaders cohort that we're launching in October, I would love to talk to you. You can contact me via the form that you'll find at maestroleveleaders.com. The Third Turn Podcast is a production of Design Group International, and you can learn more about Design Group International, as well as its variety of blogs and podcasts and other resources at designgroupinternational.com. While this work is fun for us, Mark, it's ultimately for the flourishing of our grandchildren's grandchildren and the future value that can come from our leadership. So thank you for listening.